Thank you, sir. Good morning. Good morning. Let's try that again. Good morning. morning. How are you? I don't know if it's going to be cold or hot. I'm hoping hot. I like it really, really scorching hot. I don't know if you knew that. (laughs) Scorching, uncomfortably hot. Well, it's good to have uh, more Bogalsos here. I don't think you could ever have enough Bogalsos (laughs) in your life. Uh, Nestor and Emma, can you raise your hand? Uh, Good to have you. Yay. I think you were here a a couple months back, right? Good to see you again. And then we have the Reeds. Can I say that correctly? Yeah, we have Jonathan and Bree. And Jonathan, I don't know if you guys know, but Jonathan and I had quite some adventures. Uh, Yeah, we did in India. So Jonathan was there. He was serving on a short stint. And there were many times we almost died. So if you want to know some fun stories, ask Jonathan. Ask him about the time a guy pulled a gun on him. Oh, that's a fun story. (laughs) Bree doesn't know that story. (laughs) Oh, you do. Okay, that's a fun story. Okay, but uh, that's good too. Uh, Good to do. Um, You know, it's fun to hash out stories. I like that. And of course, we have Drew. If you guys remember Drew, he came last week. And we have Sam uh, Vallejo, and we love his last name. We'll never forget his last name. Would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5? I love it when we get to have friends uh, come and visit. Last week you saw there was just this pouring of friends. I think we had, I think I was trying to count, I think it was like 30 or 35 people come and visit. Um, and from that, by, by God's grace, uh, there's a couple who are thinking that uh, they would like to come to church more and to hear about God's word and hear what Christ has done. Um, on the cross for the sins of man. But what I think is fun uh, for uh, getting together with friends from old times is um, we, we get to talk about old times, you know. And uh, many of you guys know uh, Mark Munoz was here last Sunday, and whenever we get together, we always have these two funny, funny stories that we always tell, and we still laugh about it. And I think sometimes he even embellishes it a little bit more, right? Just to make it uh, bigger. But one of the funniest stories, and I, this is like probably the 16th time I've told it, and my kids always laugh every time I tell it. There's one time in particular, okay? Uh, this was before Mark was famous. He was a UFC fighter, and before all of that, he went to Oklahoma. We were just foolish kids in Vallejo, okay? Just foolish. One time, it was so hot, uh, it was a nice, I think it was 4th of July, it was a hot day in Vallejo, and sometimes there's a, there's a nice heat that's there, it's about 100, 100 degrees, because I like it like that, right? And we went over to uh, Jeanette's house, and I wasn't dating her, we weren't married, it was just all the youth group just showed up at her house uh, from our church, and it was so hot um, but what we wanted to do is uh, Six Flags, which was called Marine World back then, right, was, was having their fireworks. So we thought it was all wise and smart of us to climb the house and get on the roof, right? And so we watched the fireworks. And so everyone got down, right? Everyone got down. And as they were down, 
uh, I think I think it was Abner, Abner David, or so, I, I think someone said, hey, you know what? I just saw there's this such a thing called a trust fall. All you got to do is just have your friends hold their hands together and you could just fall backwards and they'll catch you. And I said, because I was foolish, I said, I want to do that. I want to fall off the roof and get caught by all the guys there. Because, you know, they look strong and they could tie their hands together. So I said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it because I'm what? Foolish. Okay. So I said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. So I'm up there and I'm turning around. And, and then Mark Munoz says, no, no, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I said, no, I'll do it. He goes, no, I'm doing it. I go, okay. And I'm thinking in my head, okay. He'll do it first, and then I'll do it after him, right? So you've got to imagine, this is a, in College Park, right? There's a, this is just a, it's a modest three-bedroom, two-bathroom house, normal roof, single-family home. So he goes, and Mark's a big guy, right? He turns around, right? and he has all these guys line up holding hands, and he falls, but he doesn't fall like this, okay? He falls like this, and so... One of the elbows hits a guy right in the eye. Boom! And Mark falls straight on the ground. Right? And all we heard was this thud. Okay? And silence. I think Jeanette said, <gasps> and that was it. It was just silence. Right? And I was thinking in my mind, Mark dead. <laughs> right? Mark's dead, right? Uh, and then all of a sudden, he springs up to his feet, and he starts saying, you're weak, all of you are weak, you're weak, you're weak. And he starts shouting, but I think the reason why I tell you this story is because we were foolish. And so when he fell to the ground, I said, okay, I'm just climbing down. I'm going to climb down. There are two ways to learn, Mark said, is through experience or instruction, right? He learned through experience. I learned through instruction, right? I didn't want to do that. But the foolish thing is we tried to rebel. What did we try to rebel against? The law of gravity, okay? We thought we could defeat this law of gravity, right? Foolish. Mark suffered and got the wind knocked out of him. But sadly, spiritually speaking, the consequences of living foolishly, spiritually foolishly, spiritually foolish, are much more grave. When you defy the laws of God and you defy His wisdom and you defy what He has said, you're not going to just get the wind knocked out of you. If you defy Him, you could either, if you're not saved, fall into judgment if you are saved, suffer much pain on the way down. Do you understand? And God talks about wisdom and uh, uh, foolishness, but I want to talk about it here in Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, this is our text. We're going to go through verses 15 to 21. I'm going to do points 1 and points 2, and I'm going to save point 3 for later, for next week. Point three, I want to spend more time. But in Ephesians 5, verses 15 to 21, we're going to read that whole section because I want to get the flow. It says in verse 15, Therefore, be careful how you walk, 
not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is and do not get drunk with wine for that is dissipation, but be filled with the spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of the, our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Father, we just pray you would help us, help our dull ears, help our hardened hearts to receive this, soften them, help us to hear Christ, help us to apply this to our lives. Help us to fall more in love with the Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, God's desire for you in hearing this sermon is that you would walk in wisdom. Right? That's very clear. God's desire for you in hearing this sermon is that you would walk in wisdom. If you recall, as we were going down, he says here in verse 17, not to walk in futility of chapter 4. He says in, well, excuse me, let me start in chapter 4 and verse 1. He's talking about how our lives are supposed to be reflected, reflecting the treasures that we have received in Christ. That God has ordained that we'd be saved. He has elected us before the foundation of the world. That Christ has died on the cross to pay for our sins. That the Spirit has sealed us for salvation. And he says here in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1, and now he talks about how this should change your life. He says in chapter 4, verse 1, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. In chapter 4, verse 17, he tells you to not walk as the world in the futility of their mind. In chapter 5 and verse 1, he tells us to be imitators of God. And in verse 2, to walk in love. In uh, chapter 5 and verse 7, Therefore do not be partakers of them, for you were formerly darkness. Now you are light in the world. Now he says, walk as children of light. And now he changes to this different aspect of how our lives should be reflected of the treasures that we have received in Christ. You ought to be a different people. You ought to be a changed people. If you have truly come to know who Jesus Christ is. And what is this change in this aspect that he's talking about, he says you need to be walking in wisdom. He says, be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And if you notice here in verse 15, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. It sets up the whole portion of this section, the whole portion of the text. And so we have to talk about this. In the Bible, there is this talk about wisdom and foolishness. There are big themes in the Bible. Wisdom and foolishness. God defines biblical foolishness as such. And, and if you want a working definition of what biblical foolishness is, you got to know what it is so you don't do it. Okay? You got to know what it is so you don't do it. What is biblical foolishness? Well, the definition is this. Thinking, speaking, and living in such a way as if the God of the Bible does not exist or is not present and has no rule over you. Okay, let me repeat that. 
Foolishness is this, as defined in the Bible, is thinking, speaking, and living in such a way as if the God of the Bible does not exist or is not present and has no rule over you. Now, this can be an atheist. It could actually be a disobedient Christian. You know, a disobedient Christian can act foolish at times. He may say, she may say that they believe in Christ. They believe in God. They believe that God controls all these things. They believe in the God of the Bible. And what happens? Instead of trusting what God says about a certain situation, instead of believing what God has said about their life as to be true, instead of holding God to his promises, they deny it and they live almost a practical atheism. Does that make sense? They may say that they're theists, they may say that they believe in God, but the way they live their lives is like a practical theist, uh, atheist, excuse me. Now, in Psalm 14.1, if you're taking notes, Psalm 14.1, it says that the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The first and foremost thing that a fool does is he denies God and he denies God's control over him or God has any right over him. When someone says no one's over me, when someone says that there's no God over me, Bible declares that person a fool. Man is born a fool because he is born a natural enemy against God. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, if you remember the text, notice what he, uh, how the Bible describes a person apart from Christ. He says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, verse, chapter 2 and verse 1, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. So what is this saying? It says, when we are born, we are dead. When we've come into this world, the Bible says, spiritually speaking, we have no feeling, no desire, no desire to please the one true God. Our hearts are twisted. They're bent. Our wills are bent. Our hearts don't want to hear what Christ has to say. We don't want to hear his authority over our lives. We want to hear that he is exclusively the only way to salvation. What occurs? God says here in chapter, in chapter 2 verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, what happens is God supernaturally acts in your life. He displays his love by stepping in and interfering, yes, interfering with your life and saving you, causing you to see the glory of Christ. But apart from that, the Bible says that man is a fool. It is displayed also in man's lack of gratitude to the true God. Go with me to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Man's foolishness is displayed in Romans chapter 1 and verse 21. It says here, For even though they knew God, and Paul is indicting the whole world. Even though they knew God, the one true God, right? They did not honor him as God 
or give thanks, but they came futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. What, and then it says in verse 22, professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds, four-footed animals and crawling creatures. And what the Bible is saying here is that even though that people have a sense of who God is, they push it down. They push it away. They don't give thanks. They don't honor him. And even though they think they're smart, verse ch chapter, verse 22, professing to be wise, they became fools. Why? Instead of worshiping the God of the Bible, they exchanged it in the form of man. What man can do, what man could accomplish. They worship man's, uh, uh, man's own ability to heal himself, to take himself out of his problems. And then it says the four-footed animals and crawling creatures. What the Bible is saying here is that man's lack of gratitude displays his folly. They didn't give thanks. It's also displayed in man's lack of understanding of the true God. Here is how the Bible describes man apart from Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter, one, uh, chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. He doesn't have the capacity because he doesn't want it. Okay. Okay. In chapter 2 and verse 14, he says, but a natural man that is a an unsaved man, a man who doesn't know Christ. Okay. This is why it's very difficult to explain the gospel. You could explain it even in the clearest terms. As clear as can possibly be. And apart from the Spirit of God working in that person's life, they won't get it. Notice it says here, verse 14, A natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Why? For they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. In other words, if you even test this out and you try and explain to a person who doesn't know Christ, to a person who is militant against it, hostile against it, what it's going to say is, when you say that man's problems are based in his sin, that man's primary problems of life is based because he is at war with God and that there is no way he could change or save himself, when you explain that to him, they look at you like you're a fool. Oh, I have this all the time. I think I, I, think I shared this with you before. I tried to share the gospel with someone and, and I tried to invite them to church before and they said, um, yeah, no, no, I'm not coming. No, not coming. I don't think I'll ever come. I'll never come. Right? And I tried to explain the importance and the glory of Christ. But he doesn't understand it. It's foolishness. See, this hurdle of foolishness is innate in man. It cannot be assuaged. It cannot be changed. It cannot be penetrated unless the gospel by the Holy Spirit comes and pierces their hearts. And all of a sudden, they see. Notice, it's also displayed in man's direction apart from the true God. If you're following, you could write Proverbs 12, 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. 
It's also displayed in man's mockery about sin. Look at Proverbs chapter 14. Proverbs chapter 14. Proverbs chapter 14. He makes light of it. He jokes of it. You could see this in the music. You could see this in the sitcoms. Sometimes even as Chinette and I are, are watching a show, and I go, man, this is so nasty. They're just laughing at this sin. We need to take this out of our life. This, is, this does not make God laugh. Why should I think it's okay for us to laugh? They're laughing at it. This person's sleeping with that person. That person's sleeping with that person. That person's lying to another person. That person, and they're just laughing. They think it's funny. Look at, this is what God says about it. Look at Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 9. Fools. This is what fools do. Okay? Verse 9. Fools mock at sin. But among the upright, there is goodwill. He says here that fools think it's funny. They joke. They laugh. They change everything with sexual innuendo. They think it's funny, hilarious. And it's crass and it's gross. And God says, what? That fools do that. So if you're laughing at that, the Bible says you're a fool. Wow. Right? If you think it's funny, the Bible says you're a fool. It's also displayed in man's speech. You could even write Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 2. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable, but the mouths of fools spouts folly. Not only do they understand foolishness, they don't want anything to do with God, they don't want anything to do with Christ, but all they talk about is foolishness. Foolishness. Now, Again, the definition of foolishness is this. What? A person who lives, thinks, breathes apart from God's rule and reign in their lives. They don't believe God exists or they live like he doesn't exist or he has any claim on their lives. We see this in, you know, uh, people seek after money or relationships or fame. It's totally opposite from riches in Christ or true relationships with God and Christ. Or the fame of Christ. It's empty. So it doesn't matter. Notice, it doesn't matter how high your education is. You can have a PhD and be a fool, the Bible says. Right? He mocks God. He mocks righteousness. He laughs at sin. There's folks I know, they're always laughing at how drunk they get. They think it's funny. The Bible says it's not. And then they pass on their foolishness to anyone they have in their influence, to friends, to children, to anyone. In fact, the parents are foolish, and so they teach the kids their foolishness, and then their kids teach their kids their foolishness, and it goes on and on and on. I remember uh, I, was, I was talking to uh, Mike David. He's one of my good friends. He used to be a, a vice principal at a really rough school in uh, our hometown. And he said, I said, well, you know, I always want to know stories. And I always ask him, well, did you have to break up fights? He said, Angelo, did I have to break up fights? Right. He said, 
not only did I have to break up fights, I had to break up parent fights. I said, what? He says, yeah, if, if there's a guy, two guys that get into a fight and I bring their parents in, their parents start fighting in my office and I have to call the cops. See, the sin was never dealt with in Christ. So that sin is cultivated, taught, educated even more, and then it is passed on. The apple didn't fall too far from the tree, did it? If these people are always getting in fights, surely your kids are going to be like that. Right? And so the Bible says, um, the Bible says that here is the results. Uh, in, in Proverbs 1, if you're still in Proverbs, turn with me to chapter 1 and verse 29. This is what Nelson was reading. I'm just going to read a portion. I wanted to read this section because this is a theme throughout all Scripture. If you listen to God, that is wisdom. And if he's allowed you ears to hear and he has opened your heart, that is wisdom. If you don't listen to him, that is foolish. Look at verse 29. And thir uh, to 32, I'm just going to read. Here's the indictment. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, they would not accept my counsel. They spurned all of my reproof. You know, a lot of times, a lot of problems, even in society and in families and in relationships, a lot of times it is based simply in this. They don't trust in what God has said. Right? It says here, so they eat of the fruit of their own way. This is sad. Look at this. They eat of the fruit of their own way. What is the fruit? The resultant of their foolish behavior apart from Christ, right? And be satiated with their own devices for they, for the waywardness of the naive will kill them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. Foolish men, women, and children apart from Christ apart from their minds being open to biblical truth, apart from Christ's mercy upon them, hate biblical truth. They hate anything about Christ or salvation or God or heaven and hell. Now let's talk about biblical wisdom. Okay, so that's foolishness. You're still with me? Okay, that's foolishness. Now here's biblical wisdom. Okay, biblical wisdom is the exact opposite of that. Biblical wisdom is this. Thinking and speaking and living in such a way based on the conviction that the God of the Bible exists and is presence and has rule over you. In fact, that what his word says actually matters. That the way I live should be uh, guided, should be curtailed, should be led, should be illuminated by what God has said in his word. That I'm not good enough to come up with this stuff. That I don't know how to, I don't know how to lead my family. I don't know how to be a husband. I don't know how to uh, uh, raise my kids. I don't know how to be a pastor. I don't know how to shepherd people. I don't know how to do anything of that. But I do in Christ. I have all things in Christ. And I have all things in this word. Brothers and sisters, have you come to know the sufficiency of God's word yet? Have you come to know that he has the answers that you need. Now, this biblical wisdom of thinking and speaking and living in such a way, based on the conviction that the God of the Bible exists and is present and has rule over you, it starts with the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 1 verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. 
Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So what starts it off? Well, we already saw in 1 Corinthians that there is no understanding. That you can't understand apart from God. So what, what has to happen? You have to receive God. God must work on your heart. God must work in your mind. And you have to be open to what he is saying in his word about you, about heaven and hell, about what he says about the glories of Christ. Notice, it is only biblical wisdom. You could only get wisdom only through his scriptures. He says here in 2 Peter chapter 3. Excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Hey, Manny, can you help me out? I'm getting hot. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy and chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14. Notice he says here, this is the source of wisdom, brothers and sisters. Okay, I notice that whenever, so a lot of times when we go through problems, we go everywhere except here. Right? We go everywhere Except the scriptures, but in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14, it says, You, Paul talking to Timothy, however, continue in the things you have learned. Become convinced of them. That means, let the convictions run you. Okay? Knowing from whom you have learned them, that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And he says, okay, so now where do I find that? He says, all scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. This is where wisdom comes from. It comes from the scriptures. It is embodied and focused on Christ. Uh, I could read you 1 Corinthians 1.30. It says, by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Now, here's the question, and I say all that by way of introduction. Okay? Now, here's the question. Okay? How or why should you live wisely? Okay? Is this just an option to live? Are there resources for which I can do this? Because I do stupid things. Um. Have you guys ever come to the point where you finally say, man, that was a stupid decision. Man, I did a stupid thing. I shouldn't have done that. Not you guys, huh? If we're all honest, that's what, we get there, right? I shouldn't have done that. God was clear. I remember there was a brother before I was trying to counsel and I said, don't get in this. It was a Get rich quick scheme, right? I said, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. God's word says, don't do it, right? Be careful. Don't do it. And he said, well, you know, that's for you, Angelo. Right? And he did it. And I remember after he was brought through the ringer, he was brought to financial ruin because of it. He came back a couple years later and he said, Oh, you were so wise. You should have told me. I, what you were telling me was right. I said, I'm not wise. I'm stupid. This is God's word, right? God told you to not do that, right? God told you to not get involved. God told you to do that. And so 
I think he pays attention to Scripture now, right? But why, are, why should we walk in wisdom? There are three very clear reasons God has declared why you should walk in wisdom. First, first, and we're only going to go through the first two, okay? We're only going to go through the first two. First, walk in wisdom because life is short. Walk in wisdom because life is short. And this is talking about urgency, okay? Urgency, okay? Go back to Ephesians. And now we're back at the text. And now we're going to talk about, in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, verse 15, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Walk in wisdom because life is short. How do you do this? Well, it requires great devotion. It requires great devotion because you have such a short amount of time and you have to be very detailed with the way you live your life, with how you walk. The, the Bible says, be careful how you walk. And there's two verbs that, uh, that are governing that phrase. First, it's, um, the first word is blepete, which means you look, look. And then the other one is accurately or diligently. So what the Bible is saying is look very carefully at how you walk. Look very diligently with how you live your life. Look very with razor sharp thinking. You know, a lot of times when I, um, when I meet with folks and they say they're Christians and they say, well, I've done this and I did this and I do this and they're so sure about it, but it has no bearing in Scripture. I already know they didn't look carefully. They didn't look carefully. Now, this word carefully is in Luke chapter 1, verse 3. You don't have to go there. Where Luke is telling Theophilus, he says, it seems fitting for me having investigated everything carefully from the beginning to write it out. So Luke's care of every detail of the gospel of Christ, right, of his life, and how he painstakingly wrote it in history, he's saying that's the same word that's used the way we live our lives. Now, Here's the question, okay? Or here, here's a few thoughts. Young folks, when you have a test, you study with diligence for a test, correct? You got to know those equations. You got to know, uh, you got to know Avogadro's number. You got to know what a mole is. You got to know all these things, right? When you're at the job, you have to execute every detail of the job. Right? If Rena messes up with the dosage, then the patient is dead. Right? She can't just say, oh, I skipped the zero. Right? If she messes up, the patient is dead. You have, in people who do art or crafts, they have to incorporate every detail in the craft or art or hobby. They have to correct every line when writing a computer program. They have to pour over every aspect of technique in sports even to the flick of the wrist in basketball. You know when they say, you must flick the wrist like that, right? Or the footwork of a boxer. We take so much pains with the details. So much devotion and discipline on how we walk in Christ, right? And yet, sadly, we don't take that much pain and absorption to detail with our own walks, with the God who has saved you, with the God who has caused you to see his 
light. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 4 to take pains with these things, to be absorbed so that the progress may be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and those who hear you. Now, are you studying? Are you seeking? If you really love God, you will. Some folks say, I can't do that. You know, I can't really take be really careful with my walk. A lot of folks think that they'll just grow just kind of just being, it just kind of happens. They think their growth in Christ will just kind of be like an accident, you know. Kind of like, you know, I'm just going to roll in and maybe if I see a Burger King on the way, I'll just kind of eat there and just kind of move on. But the Bible never talks about growth that way. The Bible talks about as if you are a Christian and you want to grow in the Lord, you must exert diligence by the power of Christ. You must exert uh, attention to detail. And so, some folks say, I can't do that. Yeah, you can. If you know sports statistics, you can do it. If you know uh, the models of every car, you can do it. Every craft, every movie storyline, every hobby, you can learn. Now, are you willing to take great care on how you study the Word of God and how you apply the Word of God and how you love Christ? Or are you going to just be lazy about it? The Bible says, what does it say? It says here, be careful. Be careful how you walk, right? So it, it requires great devotion and it requires great discernment. Great discernment. Not as unwise, but as wise. We need to, and we've gone through this, to listen to God's word, to respect God's authority, to reject enticement to sin. It also requires great diligence. He says here, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So God says, God says to walk in wisdom because life is short. And he says here to make the most. And the word there for making the most is redeeming. Making the most to buy up for yourself. It has in the root of it the term for market. And what he's saying is that when we have this time, you ought to be buying it up. You ought to be using. You ought to be taking advantage. And I think this is really interesting. And this next portion, okay, he says to make the most of your time. Now, there are two words that are used for time. One word is chronos, and that's not the word here. Chronos is used for hours and minutes and seconds. Okay? This is kairos. Okay? And this means allotted time, measured time, season. Now let's rewind this back. Okay? What God is saying I think it's tremendous for us to think about, okay? That we need to walk in wisdom, walk in his statutes, decide, make decisions based on his word. Look at situations based on his word. Why? Because you have this appointed time, this set time. Now, what is this set time? It is the boundaries of your life, brother and sister. It is the boundaries of your life. You have this one life. You have this one opportunity. You have this short breath to give Christ glory. 
to go hard after God, to pursue the lost. Do not waste it on the truffles of this world. Do not waste it on the triviality of this world. Right? I think one preacher said it this way. I forgot who said it, but he said, uh, uh, he said that he didn't, he wished that he would not be, he wished that the, the tragedy would be not that he would give, in, give himself too much to Christ, but that he would give himself too much to things that don't matter. Right? That's the tragedy. You can never give more. You can never give yourself enough to the things of Christ. Now, let me ask some questions. Right? This takes planning, doesn't it? This takes examining my life. Are there areas where I'm wasting time? Are there areas where I could be giving more time to God? It says here in, in Titus chapter 2, what can you be doing with that time? In Titus chapter 2 verse 14, you could be using it for good works. It says here, who gave himself up for us that he might redeem us from lawless deeds and purify himself a people for his own possession. Zealous for good works. You could be giving it to evangelism. The Bible says to conduct yourselves in Colossians chapter 4 with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. He uses the same word. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned as it were, with salt. Are you really squeezing the very essence of life, the essence of your life for the glory of Christ? Are you using the minutes? To be productive. Now, pro productivity doesn't necessarily mean something that you can see. I would say that someone who has given themselves over to prayer for the glory of Christ, that is a great investment of your life. Right? I would say that someone who's given over to study or someone who's given over to encouragement or someone who's given over to help another out, to serve someone, is giving it for Christ. Last uh, Tuesday, we said goodbye to our brother Tim Sled as he moved back to Indiana. And many folks would see us maybe helping him move as a waste of time. But uh, I know that my brother Andre and Mike and uh, Bonnie and the girls who were there, we didn't see it that way. Right? We knew we were serving Christ. We knew, we knew the, what, what the Bible says is worth. Right? The, the world would say, man, you're wasting your time. You could be doing so many other things. We saw that as worth. Right? We saw that as value. Why? Because it is serving Christ and we took advantage of the time. Be hungry, brothers and sisters. The Bible says, be zealous for good works. So why do you keep... Now here's, here's the nitty gritty you got to keep a calendar. Why? Because it helps you to put all, it helps you to plan what? Good works. It helps you to plan your life so that you could be rich in good works for the glory of Christ. So that you could be strategic. So that you could be uh, intentional. So that you won't waste it. You ever notice that when you get together with friends, you just kind of waste time unless there is a point to it unless there's a purpose to it. 
right? That's why even in business meetings, you sit down, what is the first thing they do? They give you an agenda. This is where we're going with the meeting. Why? Because you'll sit there and chew the fat, right? Aim your life, brothers and sisters. Even you young folks, yes, aim your life. You've got a short life to give to Christ. Give Him your best years now. Give Him your older years now. You've got this one time in this history of the universe to fight in this, in this world where there are people who, where there's enemies abound, where the world is against you, where your flesh is against you, and where, the, where sin is against you, and you still can stand in the gap by the power of Christ and say, I will declare His glories. I will stay faithful by His power. I will stay faithful to His mission. Brothers and sisters, this is your time. Amen? This is your time. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, therefore, what? I urge you. What does it say? Therefore, I urge you what? To give yourselves as what? Living sacrifices. And I think sometimes when we read that text, we read it with our minds, but we think other things. We think we read living sacrifices, but we think well-preserved specimens. Give myself as a well-preserved specimen, comfortable in everything that I do. The Bible says what? A living sacrifice. Give yourself, brothers and sisters. Well, uh, I'm tired. Give yourself by the power of Christ. Amen? Refresh yourself in his word and in prayer. Give yourself and let's see God use you to redeem that time. Let's see God use you to bring a soul to Christ. Let's see God use you to mature a soul in Christ. Let's see God use you to welcome others and bring the strangers home. Redeem the time. You have a short life. You will never get a chance to fight like this anymore. Right? Jesus says what? When the night comes, the work is over. Right? When the night comes, the work is over. We get to be in heaven and it's going to be all rest. Right now, fight. Now, secondly, walk in wisdom. First, walk in wisdom because life is short. Second, walk in wisdom because Christ grants guidance. Okay? This is wonderful and I think I've got to stop here. I'm just going to introduce this and then talk about the next point. And we're going to talk about this next Sunday. Okay? I wanted to sit and talk about where does the power come from? Okay? Here we talk about where we have a short life and now we have Christ grants guidance. But thirdly, and let me give you this point, walk in wisdom, number three, because you are able, because you are able. Not in yourselves. He says what? Do not get drunk with wine for that is dissipation, but what? Be filled with the Spirit. And now this now all makes sense, okay? This all makes sense. Now we only have, uh, I only have a specific appointed time that I have to stop when I preach, right? I've had an appointed time. So, but I want to skip to that point and I want to kind of introduce that first, that Christ guides us, right? He says here, so then don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And thirdly, walk in wisdom because you're able, you have power. This may seem like an impossible task. Sometimes if you look in the mirror, you may look in the mirror and just say, man, I'm an idiot. Why did I do that? 
Why did I say that? Why did I go there? Why did I think that? Why did I invest in that? Why did I, why did I waste my time with that? I'm a fool. How can I change myself? And brothers and sisters, you won't be able to do it by yourself. But here's, here's the power. I love this. Be filled with the Spirit. Amen? So Jesus, as your motivation and your guide, he is going to guide you through this. Okay? Okay? As you dwell on his word and as his mind becomes, and your mind becomes uh, transformed to his image, right? As you become transformed, you start to think like how God would desire you to live. You start to hate what he hates. You start to love what he loves. And now he says all these things. So, So now you have what? You have the urgency and you have the guidance, but I need the power, God. I need the power. I can't do it. I make the stupid mistakes. I make emotional, rash mistakes. I make angry. Uh, uh, I make angry decisions. You ever make an angry decision? That is so foolish. You're angry, and you decided a life-changing thing while you're angry. Foolish. It's based on emotion, and what happens then? It's usually disastrous. Okay. And God tells you to step back. But I can't. I'm a weak person. He says, I give you my spirit. I give you my spirit. Yes, you can, Christian. Amen? Wow! I can live this way. I could make right decisions. I could walk in righteousness. I could actually please Him. Yes, you can. By the Spirit of God. So, come back next week. We'll talk about that. But that's where the meat and the juice is. The marrow of the bone is, right? I want to know how I could live this life. It is by the power of God himself. Now, why don't we pray? Father in heaven, thank you that you have not left us. You have given us your word. You have given us your son who will guide us. But not only that, you have given us the spirit when we are weak, when we feel like we're going to make stupid decisions, when... We are going to play the fool. Oh God, help us not to play the fool. Help us to lead our kids. Help us to lead each other. Help us to lead our disciples to examine our lives by the light of Scripture and then to trust in your Spirit to give us strength to be courageous and follow through. We pray for that courage. We pray for it. Give us your spirit, indwell us, fill us anew, fill us afresh. If there are those who don't know you, Father, I pray that you would cause them to go home, get right with you, trust in Christ for the forgiveness of sins, that he is the only one to salvation. And you promise you will be there with him. You have given us your spirit, will never leave us. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.